Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Y'all can have a seat. I got it in. There you go. I did. I know. Yes. Uh, well, it's good to be with you guys. My name is Neil, as y'all heard. Um, I am a deacon here at Sojourn New Albany, and I'm um, just... Uh, Jonah called me about a week ago and was like, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to stand in front of the crowd if, that, if the renovations aren't done one more time. So he, I'm doing it for him. So. Uh, but to be fair, they're really close. Um, if you guys are guests and you need to use the restroom, find someone with a lanyard or that may know what they're doing or look like they know what they're doing, because our bathrooms right now are going to be used on the other side of the building. So um, anyway. Uh, if you have your bulletins, there's a few announcements. I'm just going to talk about one, though, because uh, it's a little near and dear to my heart. Not because I'm a woman, but because my wife is a woman, and she's <laughs> participated in this um, the past, I guess, two years now. And um, man, I can just say they've put in a lot of effort to, to make this, this, it's called Women's School of Spiritual Formation, starting in January, to make it um, really accommodating to all the women who are in this church, guests that aren't at this church. And so I just would encourage you guys uh, or ladies, uh, to get involved. Notice um, there's no childcare available. So if you've got kids, leave them at home with your husband or find a friend who's got a husband. Uh, and if you're a husband, or if you're gonna be watching the kids and you feel like maybe you can't do it, or maybe you just feel a little guilty, um, just know like the Lord, or God is greater than your heart and his, he does not condemn you. That's like from the Bible. Okay, sorry. Anyway, we're going to be talking about the Bible today, which is exciting. If you've been with us for the, uh, uh, I guess, the past month or so, this is week five of our, our, our series on the solas. Um, if you're not familiar with what the solas are, um, just think of it as like your, uh, your family history. As far as Christians, as Christianity is concerned, these, these five truths um, are based on, in Scripture is what we're going to talk about today. Um, and they are, they've been historically believed throughout all of time or all of Christianity. And so what we learned in week one was we started with sola gratia. Um, and if that sounds weird, it's probably because I'm from East Texas, and that may not be exactly how you pronounce it. Um, but it, sola gratia is grace alone, meaning that you are saved uh, by God's love and desire to save you alone. That's it. Uh, you're not saved by your works. You're not saved by what you do. You're not saved by how good you are or not saved by how bad you are. Um, and you're saved through faith. So the only, uh, that's sola fide, the only response that God requires of you is to actually believe that he saved you or that he loves you. That's it. To trust him enough to follow him in obedience. Sola fide means you are saved by faith, through faith alone by grace. And you're only, you're saved, we learned on week three, in Christ, uh, which we call solus Christus, and Christ alone, meaning the only way through salvation is faith in Jesus, trusting Jesus. Uh, And you do this all to the glory of God alone. We all have to look at this. Sola Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. And what that is, is from that foundation of security, of that foundation of salvation, you are free now to enjoy God through all the ordinary means of your life and to glorify him alone. And today we're going to talk about the final sola, which is sola scriptura. So all four of those other solas are actually summed up or found in this sort of, in in the Bible, in in the belief that the Bible alone um, shares that message to us. Uh, and so to, to go through Scripture alone today, though, 
uh, we're going to have to address some of our personal history that clouds our understanding of that phrase, uh, some of what we might call our family baggage. Uh, for many of us, the biblical authority for faith and godliness that Sola Scriptura wants to conserve has been used to abuse and to manipulate us. And so the first thing that I want to do, or first parts that I want to address, is what is Sola Scriptura not saying? Uh, number one, Sola Scriptura is not saying that the only way God communicates to us is in Scripture. And while it's good and right to go to the Bible primarily to hear from God, the Bible itself actually refutes the idea that it's the only place that God speaks to us. In Psalm 19, the poet says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. And so what that means for us is that God speaks through ordinary means, he speaks through nature, and that we don't have to be afraid of what science finds out about God. We don't have to be afraid of what psychology finds out about God. Um, in fact, what this verse is telling us is that the truth that these, these means are finding for us are actually declaring the glory of God. It's actually God speaking out his glory day after day and night after night. The idea that, that the Bible is the only place that God speaks um, is actually called solo scripture. It's not called sola. Um, so you can just kind of put that in your back pocket and, and know that. Um, and we, we experience the, the sort of realities of this daily. Uh, but probably what's most familiar to us recently is what happened on Thursday, right? We call that Thanksgiving. Um, and I want to ask you, where does the Bible tell us how, how to season a turkey or to take that turkey, put it in this nice enclosed firebox with a little bit of smoke, a little bit of heat, over a period, slow, we call that slow cooking over a period of time, and then you, you pull that out of the smoker and then you cut it up, you carve it up, and it's, it's glorious, right? We all experienced that on Thursday night. Maybe not the smoked turkey, maybe you did the deep fried turkey or the baked turkey or your ham people. I got a family of ham people, and so I'm the only one that enjoys turkey, really, um, but that's, what, that is, what that is, is God pouring out his, his speech, his glory to us day after day and night after night. Another way to, to think about it is uh, a couple, about a week and a half ago, I was outside. I, I took the day off uh, because I had like three inches of leaves in my front yard. Uh, and so family's coming. I got to make it look a little, get, a little good, right? Uh, I didn't get all the leaves, but I was raking the leaves. Um, and as I'm raking the leaves, putting them in piles, my oldest daughter, who's about eight, who is eight, actually. Um, she comes outside and she's like, Dad, I've got this rash all over me. And I look at her and she's got rash on her armpits all over her body. She didn't have a shirt on, weird. Uh, and, and I said, I said, go inside and put some lotion on it. Cause that's, you know, I'm breaking leaves and I figured that's gonna at least help a little bit. And I go inside, we take her temperature. She's running like 102 fever. Um, and you, do you know what? The first place I went to was not the Bible. Cause the Bible's not gonna, prescribe medicine for me. So we, so we called a doctor uh, after we tried the oils, actually. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we, we called a doctor. <laughs> My wife's laughing at me right now. Sorry. We called a doctor, and that doctor actually prescribed medicine, and that medicine actually kills bacteria. And science is what helped discover that, and glory to God for science, right? It saves lives. Um, the second thing 
um, that Sola Scriptura is not saying is that every literal phrase that you read in the Bible is meant to be received literally. And here's why. The Bible is a book made up of 66 other books. Uh, It's written for a specific people in a unique context using various different genres. Um, And so while it is a history book, it's not just a history book. Um, We've said it here at Sojourn before, but you don't read poetry the same way that you read the Ten Commandments. Uh, Or if the prophets are meant to be read a little bit different than the history books of the Old Testament. And so one of the ways that we get this wrong is when we, we come to the book of Proverbs and we think that this is a promise to be received or it's a, it's a command to be followed. Um, and we take the, the book of Proverbs too literally. And so when we, we see in Proverbs 26, a little conflict that we're gonna have, we have to deal with if we do this. It says in verse four, chapter 26, do not answer a fool according to his folly. And then the very next verse, it says, answer a fool according to his folly. So what do we do? If, we take, if we're always taking the Bible literally, word for word, which I'm not saying that the word is not inerrant and is not infallible. What I'm saying is that we're going to struggle to believe the Bible as, we are to, as the Bible is given to us by God if we take it literally all the time. When Jesus says something like, uh, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. I would like to find someone who has actually eaten Jesus's flesh and drank his literal blood because I want to know. I want to talk to that person. Uh, nobody's done it, right? Well, at least, yeah, okay. So what is it? Um, if it's not solo scripture, what is sola scripture? Well, sola scripture speaks to our posture towards the Bible and proclaims that the Bible is fundamentally our highway to experience God. In other words, our posture towards the Bible is to first and foremost receive what God is actually saying. And we get a glimpse of this in, in the first verse that Paul writes to us. And he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Did, did you catch that everything begins with God, including Paul's mission? Paul was not called by someone else. He didn't discover it some other way. It started and was initiated by Jesus himself, Jesus being God. And, and we rehearse this idea, this everything comes from God every week if you come to church on time. I'm talking to myself. I was a little late today, at least for the second service. Uh, Worship, we do this, it's called the call to worship, where everything starts with God. And the Bible is no different, which means we start our Bible reading with God. We don't start our Bible reading with us. So what is the Bible? Well, that's what we're going to talk about the rest of this time. First, um, we receive from God in the Bible, what he is like. Let me say that again. The first thing that we receive from God in the Bible is what he is like. To put another way, Sola Scriptura speaks to the fact that God has specifically revealed himself through the Bible. If you're here today and you're wondering, what is God like? If you're asking that question, the Bible is our most reliable and specific way to know what God is like. And for all of us in this room, this is our jumping off point. 
This is our foundation for being able to explore who God is and to explore what he says in the Bible, not only about who he is, but about who he says we are. To put this another way, when we uphold sola scriptura and approach the Bible with a posture of receiving, we are letting God get the final say on who he is. We're letting the Bible say what the Bible says, and we're not trying to fit our own hopes, our own desires, or our own conclusions about who God is, or who we think he should be, or who he thinks he says we are on us. We're letting God define those things. Uh, a couple years ago for Christmas, my wife and I uh, went back to uh, Texas to visit my family. Um, and so we, we go see all the grandmothers and the as many aunts and uncles as we can. Um, and we're going to visit uh, my dad's mom, which we call Mimi. which um, is my grandmother, obviously. And, and we're going to her house to open presents. And at the time, Aliyah and I only had two kids. We had Zoe, which is our oldest, she's eight. And we had Zaylee, which at the time was obviously our youngest. And she's four right now. And although there's a lot of similarities between the two, there's like a very glaringly obvious difference between them. Um, for one... You go to our house, you'll go to Zaylee's room, you'll see that it's decorated with like a unicorn on the wall. She likes princesses and she likes tea parties, dresses. She, she, we get her like fake makeup for Christmas. Um, all of those types of girly things, right? Um, that's Zaylee. Now, Zoe, on the other hand, is a little different. She likes the girly stuff too, um, but more than that, she likes to come home with naturally worn holes in her jeans. She likes to wear Darth Vader shirts. Uh, and then her room is decorated with pandas, pandas everywhere, uh, just like black and white. That's not very, you know, like, whatever. Um, and so here we are, we're at Christmas with my grandmother, and it's Zoe's turn to open her presents. Um, and she has this, like, exciting look on her face, like, what did, what did Mimi get me? Uh, she starts opening it, she opens it up, and then her look of disappointment just covers her face, like you couldn't hide it. You knew that she was disappointed and like, who knows what my grandmother was thinking because what my grandmother got her was Barbies. And like, Zoe plays with dolls, but Barbies are the antithesis to her being. You know, she wants Princess Ray. She doesn't want the Barbie names. I don't know all of them. I know Princess Ray, obviously. And the reality is my grandmother didn't really know Zoe. She didn't know what she liked. She didn't know who she was. Um, and it's really, really hard to have a relationship with someone if that's the case, if you don't know them. If the foundation of the Bible is God's revelation of who he is and what he likes, then that means to know God, we go to the Bible and let him define it for us. He gets to define who he is. We don't. So we come to the Bible to know what God is like, but second... We come to the Bible to find out what God is doing. What's he doing in history? And what's he doing in our own lives? Look at how Paul speaks to this. He says, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who asked to his flesh a descendant of David. Now think about what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that the gospel is found only in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's not saying that the gospel is only found in his letters to the other New Testament churches. What he's saying is that the entire Bible from beginning to end is proclaiming the same story, the same good news about Jesus. So what is that story? 
What is God doing in all of the Bible that is the same thing he's doing in your life right now, in my life right now? Well, first of all, he's telling us about ourselves. He's showing us who we are in in many ways. And the first thing that the Bible shows us, among many, is that um, that our own human nature screws up everything. To put another way, the Bible describes it like this. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. From Old to New Testaments, the common themes we find throughout every story is that human beings have ruined God's world. And it's in our own efforts to try to fix things that we just make it worse and worse and worse. We see this early on in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. It walks us through our first response to sin. And from Cain to Lamech to Noah to the Tower of Babel, the consistent message that God shows us is that apart from him, we will continually twist goodness and beauty and righteousness and justice to fulfill our own desires. And that will ultimately lead to our death. But the message has a bigger goal. The Bible has a bigger goal than just to show us how often we screw up or how awful we are. The point of all of that is to move our eyes away from ourselves and up to God. Which means the first question that we ask ourselves when we read the Bible is not, how do I get better? The question we should ask ourselves is, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in history? What are you doing in my life? Where are you showing up? Why does Paul say that the gospel was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures? Because when you read the Scriptures willing to find out God's story, what you find is that everything is written about Jesus. It's Jesus himself who says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. In other words, the Bible is telling a story from beginning to end about Jesus's depths and God's willingness to bring us back into his family. So stopping right there, let's just kind of recap what, what we're saying sola scriptura is. We, we believe sola scriptura is the, the belief that the Bible is the highway for us to experience relationship with God, that in the Bible, God has revealed who he is and what he is like, and that the big picture story of the Bible tells us what God is doing, particularly rescuing us from ourselves and bringing us back into the family of God through Jesus, his son. The final question that I wanna to address today now is where is the Bible taking us? Or to put it another way, if our posture toward the Bible is one of receiving from God, where is God taking us through our Bible reading. It's, Paul actually addresses that question later on in Romans chapter eight, where he says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, the goal of your redemption, the goal of your life, the goal of your Bible reading, the goal of your Christian duties and union with Jesus is to become like Jesus. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, I think number one, um, we have to learn to see that God loves Jesus. 
Now think about that for a second. If that's, if that's our starting point, that God loves Jesus. If God's big plan for our lives is to become like Jesus, then we have to come to terms with the fact that God unconditionally in Jesus loves you and I. We have to really believe that. That nothing you've done, nothing you will do, or nothing that you're doing right now in Jesus will separate you from the love of Christ, period. Here's what's funny about that. We talked about this two, three, four weeks ago. We talk about it every week, honestly. We have a doctrine for that. We call it sola gratia, grace alone. It's why these solas are so important to us. I believe the hardest thing for us as Christians to do to become like Jesus is to actually believe that God loves us the same way that God loves Jesus. It's such a challenge to us that Paul prays for that for us in Ephesians 3. Look what he says. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, Paul's big prayer for your entire life is that you would have power to believe and power to trust that in Christ, God loves you. Because Paul knows how hard it is actually to believe that. He's a human being just like us. He's not God. He knows how hard it is to actually believe that God loves us. And finally, to become like Jesus, we have to learn to trust like Jesus. So how did Jesus trust, you ask? I know you're asking that. Well, Paul mentions it in verse four, where he hints at it. And he says, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, Jesus ultimately lived his life in complete trust of the father by living by the spirit. So the way to trust like Jesus is to learn to walk by the spirit. How do you walk by the spirit? I don't know. I really, I mean, I don't know for you. I don't, like, I have to answer that for myself. I can't tell you, the Bible is not gonna tell you what to do uh, when you're faced with the choice of who to marry. The Bible's not gonna tell you what to do with your boss who is demanding all this time from, from you and you can't spend time with your family. These are all questions that God's concerned with but they aren't answered with a nice and neat little Bible verse that you can go home and memorize and prepare yourself for. Instead, in his book to the Galatians, Paul gives us some attributes that we are to look and pay attention about ourselves. He says in chapter five, verses 19 through 23, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So to wrap Sola Scriptura up, if you find that no matter how often you're reading Scripture, 
no matter how many Bible verses you have memorized, how many days out of the week you're at a Bible study or studying the Bible, if your life is characterized by sexual immorality, dissension, jealousy, fits of anger or rivalries, or anything marked by the flesh, I would be concerned with your posture towards the scriptures. I would be concerned with how, whether or not you're actually receiving from God. See, when our posture towards the Bible is one of receiving and trusting, our lives instead will begin to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sola Scriptura speaks to the fact that when we come to God's word, willing to hear from him, willing to know him, and willing to be changed by him, there is no other document in the history of the world with the authority and power to actually lead us into becoming like Jesus. And yet each week we come in here and we need to be reminded not only of our trust in God through reading his scripture, but our trust to believe that God loves us. At communion, we are confronted with the loud declaration that God has spoken once and for all, and finally, through his son, Jesus. See, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he stood up at the dinner table and breaking the loaf of bread, he proclaimed to his disciples and to the rest of the world and to us today, this is how guilty you are, that I will have to die for you. There is nothing we can do. There's no power that we can have to atone for our own sins. But because of how much I love you, I will do it for you. In the same way, he took the cup of wine and proclaimed the depths of his love for you and the security that you can have in him. It's these simple acts of ordinary receiving from God, receiving the bread, receiving the wine, um, that we are, are opened up to what God has for us in our lives. If you're a Christian, it's our tradition to come forward and take a piece of bread and dip it in the wine or juice. The wine will have twine marked around it and will have gluten-free elements to my left, your right. And do you, Christian, do you have a, a willing posture to God's word? In this ordinary act of communion, let us practice receiving God's word and learn to trust in Jesus. If you are not a Christian, though, I would ask that you would stay in your seat until the meal is over. But are you willing to admit that all the conflicting voices that you're hearing in the world today, all the news stories, all the wars, the, the famines, everything that sounds dangerous and you don't know what to do with, are you willing to admit and are you willing um, to trust that God has spoken in his son Jesus and he is welcoming you, welcoming you into his family and that you can trust him through his word? Can you trust Jesus? Let's pray.